Let's pick up our reading in verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. In these verses, we find reference to God three times, three different names. Verse 18, he is referred to as Jesus Christ. Verse 21, he is called Jesus. Verse 23, he's called Emmanuel. When Jesus was born, the Bible says that in verse 23, his name shall be called Emmanuel. I like to preach on his name being Christ in verse 18, but that'll be for another time. I'd like to preach on verse 21, thou shalt call his name Jesus, but that too will have to be another time. I want us to see this morning, his name shall be called Emmanuel. He says the name Emmanuel means God with us. There's no record that Jesus ever referred to himself as Emmanuel. We have no record that anyone else called Jesus Emmanuel. Yet the Bible says, they shall call his name Emmanuel. I want to preach this morning on that very statement. His name is Emmanuel. Thank you. Please be seated. Matthew tells us that this name, Emmanuel, fulfills an Old Testament prophecy. And that prophecy promises to us that Jesus would be born and his name should be called Emmanuel. That Old Testament prophecy and promise is Isaiah 7 and verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Here's the sign that God promised to give. Again, Isaiah 7, 14 is a promise that there will one day be a savior. And he gives a sign with that promise. And the sign is a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son. It was a promise that one day God would send a Savior to the world. The Old Testament promise, Isaiah 7, 14, is laid on the table like an empty, golden, beautiful cup. 
And it's saying that God is one day going to send a Savior. He will be called Emmanuel. So hundreds of years that cup remained on the table empty. Until one night when a young carpenter named Joseph in his sleep had a dream. And the angel whispered unto him saying that your bride-to-be, Mary, would give birth to a child who would be the Savior of the world and you would call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And when Jesus was born, God filled that golden cup up to overflowing with promise because it was Emmanuel, God with us. Now, as I mentioned three times, you find God referenced. He's called Christ in verse 18. He's referred to as Jesus in verse 21 and then Emmanuel in verse 23. Jesus means Savior. It comes from the Old Testament Hebrew word Joshua. Jehovah is salvation. Many Jewish boys were named Joshua or in the Greek Jesus. But Mary's boy is called Jesus Christ. Christ in verse 18 means the anointed one. It's the Greek equivalent to Messiah. He is Jesus, not any other boy named with that name after Joshua, but he's the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And then verse 23 says he's Emmanuel, interpreted God with us. Jesus is his human name. Christ is his official title, Messiah, anointed. Emmanuel simply describes who he is. He's God with us. In that name, Emmanuel, I think we learn a lot about Christmas. And just as you are squared away, you're solid in your understanding of what the real meaning of Christmas is about, because we live in a fallen society that is falling further and further away from Bible truth, it helps to recalibrate as to the teaching and truth of the Bible. And so I'd like for us to look at this morning, this name Emmanuel, and see at least three things about his name. Number one, it's a miraculous name. It's a miraculous name. I'm still glad we can talk about God and miracles. Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. There's something miraculous about this name, Emmanuel. Why? Because there's something miraculous about his birth. It, it's a birth in which we see its announcement is given in a miracle. The declaration that Jesus would be born is, is trenched in a miracle. Think about it. An angel came to Mary. An angel came to Joseph and informed Joseph of this miraculous birth to be and the name that he's to be given. Magi, the wise men, they came to announce the birth of the Lord in response to following a miraculous star in the sky. Luke, Luke was a physician. And as a physician and scientist, he discusses the birth of our Lord and he did it in terms of biological miracles. The virgin birth. 
See, in the Old Testament, we have all kinds of statements about the birth of our Lord. And the telling of the, the birth of Jesus in itself is a story of miracles. The first promise in all the Bible it comes to us in Genesis 3 and verse 15, where it talks about the seed of the woman, not the seed of man. Because it was intended to be a miracle from the very start. Isaiah 9 and verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. See, the birth of any baby is a miracle. But when we talk this morning about the birth of Jesus, we're talking about a birth of unique miracles. In the birth of our Lord, it's a birth like no other birth that has ever occurred in human history. The birth of Jesus is miraculous. And there's something miraculous about the name Emmanuel. It's not just a birth and a miracle in the announcement of Jesus' birth. But when you try to explain the birth of Christ, the entire explanation and teaching is to be a miracle. You see, when it says Emmanuel, and it's explained to us what that means, God with us, it brings us to understanding that in that explanation, we are being told of the miracle of the pre-existence of Jesus Christ before Christ was ever born. That's a miracle. Amen. That is an incredible miracle. See, you and I did not exist at one point in time. I'm glad you came to learn something this morning, aren't you? There was a time you were not. Then there was a time that you were. We did not decide to be born. But the Bible is teaching us when Jesus was born that he who had existed for all of eternity, he stepped into time. And through a physical human birth, God was born. God did not come into existence 2,000 years ago. He just took on human flesh. I'm saying the miracle is in the teaching, explanation of Christ's birth and that it teaches us that he existed before he physically existed. There's also the miracle of his two natures. Jesus, fully human, but Jesus, completely sinless. When Jesus was born, he's called Emmanuel. It talks about his sinlessness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. It doesn't mean that he became a sinner. It means he became our substitute. He took your sin and mine in a sinless body, an innocent lamb of God. See, by the virgin birth, because he was the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man, Jesus Christ broke that chain of the sin nature. 
We are told in Romans 5, 12, Wherefore is by one man, that's Adam, sinned, and sin entered into the entire human race so that all of us have sinned. There are certain people who have certain complexion of, of skin because it's in their genes. Certain color of hair because it's in their genes. Certain slant of the eyes because it's in their genes. Everyone who sits here, everyone who existed before you, everyone who comes after us will have the same gene that came from Adam. It's called sin. But by the virgin birth, Jesus Christ, he broke that sin nature so that he was the only one who ever has been born who did not have a sinful nature. Some say it doesn't really matter and it's become a debate in recent years as to whether Jesus was really born of a virgin or not. I want to say it does matter. It absolutely does matter. It is absolutely essential that Jesus have been born of the virgin. Had he not been born of a virgin, he would not have a sinless nature. Hebrews 7.26 says Jesus is holy, undefiled, harmless, and separate from sinners. Do I understand all about the virgin birth? I do not. But I do understand that it's a miraculous birth being born of a virgin just as Jesus was. It's in the rim of a miracle. He is a God of miracles. He was birthed in a miracle. When the angel told Mary that she's going to give birth to a baby, Mary said, how can this be? I've not had relations with the man. How can this be? And God returned to her and said, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And he went on later to say, with God, nothing shall be impossible. If you have trouble with miracles, you have trouble with the Bible. That is a book of miracles about miracles because it's a book about God. A Christian doctor was conversing one day with an agnostic. One who did not believe in the Christian faith did not believe in the miracles of the Bible, did not believe in the virgin birth of our Lord. The agnostic questioned the Christian doctor and said, Doctor, if a lady says to you that she's going to give birth to a child and that that child would be virgin born, would you believe her today? The Christian doctor said, if that child was born, and that child lived a sinless life. And that child fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. And that child later died and was buried and resurrected three days later. I'd believe her. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the sinless life of the Lord Jesus, it's all a part of the entire miracle of the birth of Jesus. And that's what Christmas is really about. It simply means that God did a miracle when he sent Jesus, our Savior, as Emmanuel, God with us. I'm saying there's something miraculous about his name. But there's not just a miracle involving God with us, Emmanuel, but there's a mystery in his name. It's a mysterious name. Jesus, remember, that's his human nature. Emmanuel, that's his divine name. God with us. We've mentioned the miracle of the two natures of Jesus, but there's also a mystery. It's a great mystery. 
For example, Jesus is referred to as the God-man. He's the God of the Bible and a man. As the God-man, he was as much God as if he had never been man. But he was as much man as if he had never been God. That's a mystery. As a man, did you know Jesus got hungry? But as God, he fed 5,000 plus with five loaves and two fishes. As a man, Jesus got thirsty in John 4 and asked the woman at the well for a drink of water. But in the same conversation as God, he said, you ask me, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. As a man, Jesus was tired and he slept in a ship. But as God, He stilled the waters of a raging sea. For you see, he's the God-man. 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. There's a mystery of God becoming a man. You see, when Jesus was born, God was born. Meaning, you can't help but read the New Testament and see all over the place that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, God. John 10 and verse 30, I and my Father are one. In John 10, 31, the Jews took up stones to stone Jesus because in verse 33, they were accusing him of blasphemy. What was blasphemy? Well, he claimed to be God. Why? Because he is God. John 14 and verse 8, Philip said unto Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it suffices us. In other words, it'll satisfy us if you show us the Father. And Jesus said in John 14, 9, how long do I have to be with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, Jesus claimed he was God. Jesus taught that he was God. Do you know that Jesus received worship as God? In the last chapter of Revelation, when John had received all that revelation God had given him through the angel, the Bible says that John fell down to worship the angel. He was so thrilled. His heart was overflowing. And as he bowed to worship the angel, the angel said, no, don't do that. I'm just like you. The angel said, you worship God. Yet when Jesus walked on the water and he calmed the storm, the Bible says the disciples fell at his feet and worshiped him. And do you know Jesus didn't stop them? Because he's worthy of worship because he is God. When Jesus healed the blind man, the blind man fell and worshiped Jesus and Jesus accepted his worship. Why? Because he's God. You see, when Jesus Christ accepts worship, he's claiming to be God. Jesus expounded God. Jesus revealed God. Jesus taught that he was God. In Colossians 2 and verse 9, in Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Meaning Jesus claims to be God. Jesus receives worship as God. And the Bible declares explicitly that Jesus Christ is God. There's something mysterious about his birth because he is Emmanuel, God with us. 
Now let's get a little bit closer to the meaning of Christmas. Emmanuel. There's something miraculous there. Emmanuel, there's something mysterious. But I want you to see number three. There's something marvelous about his name. Forgive me, I'm sticking with alliteration and the word doesn't do it justice. There's something wonderful about his name. What is it that's so wonderful and marvelous about his name? What is it so wonderful about being Emmanuel? Well, he tells us. What is Emmanuel? God with us. You know what that tells me? My God is not a distant God. He's not a distant God. Emmanuel teaches us that when Jesus was born, God was born, meaning he came to stay a spell with us. I mean, there are people who may come over for the holidays. And you think that they stay forever. Well, that's not true. It just feels like it when the mother-in-law comes. But it's not quite as long as you may feel. But when Jesus comes, he came to never leave us nor forsake us. God wants to be near us. Let me ask you, what kind of God do you believe in? Do you believe in a God who's distant or do you believe in a God who is wanting to be near you? Ask yourself this question. Does the God that you have in your mind, does he love you? Does he love you no matter what? Does he love you just the way you are? Do you know the love that God has for you is a love where he cannot love you more than he loves you? He could never love you less than he loves you. We don't quite understand it because we don't operate that way. But your God, your creator, and the one who died to save you from your sin, he loves you with an incredible love. His name is called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He has come to be close to us. I believe that this is what captured the sanctified imagination of Charles Wesley when he composed that second stanza of that great Christmas hymn, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. I believe Wesley must have been thinking about this passage when he moved from the thought of Jesus his heavenly preexistence to his incarnation. When we say incarnation, we're simply talking about his being birthed, taking on human flesh. And Charles Wesley goes from Jesus' preexistence to his incarnation, ending with this powerful name, Emmanuel. Listen to the word you see it on the screen. Christ by highest Heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our, say the word with me, Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. 
Well, when we're talking about Emmanuel, I'm talking about the marvelous name. I'm talking about this wonderful name, God with us. It means three things. It means this. Jesus came into the world to deal with our sinfulness. He came to deal with our sinfulness. Why is it Emmanuel, God with, why does God want to be with us? Why did he choose thousands of years ago in human history and before man was ever born to make a plan and a way in which he could come and be with us? Why? So he can deal with our sinfulness. In other words, God's for you. God is for us. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 21, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made in the righteousness and likeness of God. See, Christmas means God's for you. That's what it means. He came to deal with your sinfulness. C.S. Lewis said the Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. That's not all. His name means Emmanuel, God with us. He came, God for us, to deal with our sinfulness. But he didn't just come to be for us, but he came to be upon us. Christ came to deal with our weakness. You see, when Mary heard that she's going to give birth to a son, you remember she asked the question, how can these things be? I've not known man. And the angel said unto her, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. He taught her that the power of God would be upon her. You know, Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. You know, a lot of times people are trying to mask their weakness. People are hiding behind a mask. 2019 and 20 did not end the era of mask. People have been living with masks since Adam and Eve. Adam sinned and what did he do? He put on a whole body mask. He put upon himself a hiding behind a camouflage of what he could produce, these, these, uh, this, this apron of, of his own human ingenuity. And it took God coming to him saying, Adam, where are you? I want to ask you, did God know where he was? Yeah. But God wanted Adam to know where he was. And God had a series of questions for Adam, and he still does for us today. Where are you? Oh, I'm in the ministry. You can hide in the ministry. Just like you can hide down at the bar. You can hide when you put on a false pretense. I don't know of a bigger group of pretenders than a group of preachers many times. Big shot. Arrogance, pride. Well, he didn't pronounce that word right. He didn't use the right Greek word. I don't think he used the right reference. We have a lot of Bible lawyers. 
Yet the Bible says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They didn't search to see if it was not so. They weren't sitting there to critique. They were sitting to confirm. I don't like the way he did it. He may not like the way he did it either. But it's not about you and it's not about him. It's about Jesus. But so often we miss Jesus because we are trying to mask our weakness. Years ago in evangelism, I remember getting to a point where I was just running into a, a, a just brick wall and, and just certain things that just, and I was finding I was becoming more and more incapable of doing certain things. And for so long, I just was afraid to ever say to the Lord, I can't do this. I can't, I, I can't do it. And I got to a certain point, I remember sitting outside in the parking lot before I was to preach in a church in North Georgia. And, and I was sitting there and I just got to the point, I said, Lord, I can't do this. I've tried, I've tried all kinds, I have tried everything I know to try. I've tried fasting, I've tried reading more, I've tried memorizing more, I've tried passing out more tracts, I've tried soul winning more, I've tried more diligent habits of spiritual discipline. I've tried everything and I cannot figure out how to get away from the, 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 the emptiness and the dryness. And, and I said, Lord, if you don't do something, if you don't do something, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I honestly thought in heaven, God was going to say, what am I going to do? Here I've invested all this time and we've lost another preacher boy. But here's what I found, Brother Brock. God wasn't saying, what are we going to do? When I said, I can't do it anymore. I think God said, finally. <laughs> finally. Now we can get somewhere. Because without him, we can do nothing. I'm so glad when we come to the birth of Jesus, we have the birth of his cousin. Both are trenched in miracles. Elizabeth was too old to have a child. Mary was too premature to have a child. And yet both of them, it's in the context of with men, this is impossible, uh, impossible, but with God all things are possible. Reminding us, you're weak. You'll always be weak. But he's strong. He'll always be strong. Listen, when it comes to Mary, how can this be? When it comes to Elizabeth, how can this be? The truth is, God never said you could. But he always said he would. And he's teaching that Emmanuel is God with us. He's coming upon us to deal with our weakness. What are you holding out for? I don't think I can live it. I don't think I can live it. So many people say, and they turn away the Savior. I don't think I can live it. I've got news for you. He never said you could. He doesn't expect you to live it. 
Do you know one of the great mysteries and the great miracles and what is so marvelous about the name Emmanuel, God with us, is that he's for us. He came to deal with our sin. He is with us in that he's come upon us to help deal with our weakness. But here's a third one, and I love this. He, as Emmanuel, he has come in us when we get saved. He literally moves in us. Why? To deal with our emptiness. See, when you and I get saved, it's what separates Christianity from every other religion. All other religions have no certainty, no guarantee that if they take their last breath, that they'll make it to heaven. They have no guarantee because it hinges upon their religion. I'm so thankful that I don't have assurance of my salvation based upon the best five minutes of my performance here upon this earth. I only have assurance of eternal life forgiveness of sins because he said so. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus Christ being Emmanuel, God with us, when you get saved, he literally moves inside. He doesn't save somebody and say, I look forward to seeing you when you get to heaven. No, he says in Matthew 28, Lo, I'm with you always. Hebrews 13, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I literally move inside. Do you know what discipleship is really about? It's about teaching children of God. Those who've called upon Jesus, those who've understood sin is their problem, hell is the consequence, Jesus is the answer, I don't want my sin, don't want to go to hell, I need Jesus, God with us, He's for you, God with us, He wants to come upon you, God with us, ultimately, literally, He longs to move inside you, He's waiting for your permission, and when He moves inside, discipleship, is teaching God's children about the God who literally lives in us. Amen. See, a lot of people look at the Bible and they see the demands of the Bible and they think, that's hard. I mean, if you read the Bible like you ought to, love as Jesus loved. Give as Jesus gave. Be as holy as Jesus Pray without ceasing. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and evil speaking and clamor be put away with you, be put away from you. You, you see, it's not hard. It's impossible. But that's why it's called the Christ life, the Christian life. Paul said it this way, it's not I, but it's Christ that lives in me. If you're here in church, but you've never come to Jesus, you want to understand what Christmas is really about? It's not about time off from work. It's not about time with family. It's not about going in debt to get, give gifts or about receiving gifts. It's about getting not something, but someone. His name is Jesus. God loves you. 
Jesus died for you. And he rose again to be your personal Savior. Emmanuel. God with us. He's for you. He'll come upon you. He ultimately wants to move inside you. There's within every heart, God made you this way. There's a vacuum. There's an emptiness. You can throw everything into it. It'll never satisfy until you meet Jesus. This time of the year is tough for a lot of people. They're lonely. There's an emptiness. Loved ones are just a photo on the mantle. Or it's a voice on the other line hundreds of miles away. Perhaps you're here this morning. This is a Christmas where you're missing and aching for someone you've had to say goodbye to. It's lonely. But let me say to you, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, no matter how lonely you feel, you're never alone. You're never alone. I'm so thankful that the Lord Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He loves you. He wants to be your Savior this morning. Will you give Him permission to come into your life? Will you take Him to be your Savior? Stand with me, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed.